Well, good morning. This morning, what I would like to do is for us connect together two words, joy and peace. And I hope that'll mean a lot more after I'm done than it does right now to you. Already, I'm sure, when I say joy and peace, all sorts of things come into your head and into your mind. Um, being Gaudete Sunday, it's rose, not pink, um, I, um, although I do have a pink shirt on, but I couldn't, as closest thing to rose as I could get. Um, it is the one Sunday in Advent that we remember uh, the joy of the coming of the Lord. And there's more to it than that, and perhaps there'll be a liturgical minute, I don't know, we'll have to see. If I preach very short, you can, you can I'll make sure that happens. Um, but this is the Sunday when we, we stop and we think about the joy of his coming. And of course, during Advent, we think not only that he was going to come as in his incarnation, his first coming, but also we look at his second coming and, and as our, our collect of the day uh, reminded us. And there is a third coming, that is his coming now with us to be in our midst and that was the focus of, <clears throat> of our psalm, if you recall our psalm this morning that we, we read together. And what I would like to do is try to make some connections there so that we can think about joy and peace together. Now, as I begin, I want to just unpack a little bit of the Zephaniah passage that was read uh, this morning. The Zephaniah passage really unpacks a little bit of what an eschatological shalom might look like. Okay, I've just said a lot of things and I need to explain those to you for a moment. Um, eschatological or, or apocalyptic shalom, what does that mean? It means it's the peace that the, the, the people of God were to expect at the end of all things. The peace or the shalom, and I need to talk about shalom too, don't I? The peace of God which Paul talked about in Philippians is a shalom sort of peace. It's not just a state of rest, you know, like I'm going to have a little peace and quiet, have a cup of coffee and, you know, and, and uh, read a good book and sit in front of a fire or perhaps tea if that's your cup of tea. Um, but it's more than that. In the, in the Jewish mind, when you talked about shalom, which is translated peace for us, it, it required you to think about something more than non-war, but rather well-being, well-being. So when we talk about this, this peace um, that I want to refer to, that's what we're referring to, shalom. So Zephaniah, here we are again. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, rejoice, and exult with all your heart. For the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. And then he says, in that day, um, he will exult over you with loud singing. will gather you who mourn. And, and, um, and he talks about this restoring all the things that were taken away from Israel, and that's refrained through the Psalms that we see as well. But this is depicting really, like I said, an apocalyptic shalom. Now, I, in, in order to understand what this shalom is all about, this well-being, 
I think it would be good to think about where that came from. That is the Garden of Eden. Now, in the, in the people of Israel, when they thought of the ideal place, the ideal setting, they thought of a renewed Garden of Eden. And it's not just this arboreal paradise. The Garden of Eden was a place of relationship with God. The Garden of Eden was a place of perfect well-being. Everything that you should be was depicted and exemplified by the Garden of Eden. Now, everything that the Garden of Eden was is um, not told us, and many of the, uh, the unpacking of that is somewhat speculative, but I want to speculate a little bit this morning for you. Um, just to, to whet your appetite, what we can expect. Now, Adam was without sin, am I correct? Right, originally? And so was Eve, and they were the perfect pair, a match made in heaven. And they were um, in perfect relationship with God. And Adam was the ideal human. Now, if you think about a theological doctrine called total depravity, that means that every part of our human being, human being, was affected or touched by sin. Not that we're as bad as we can possibly be, but every part of us has been touched by sin. So we don't think as well as Adam did. We don't feel in our emotions like Adam did. We don't have relationship with God the way Adam did. We don't, we don't have all of those things. So Adam was in many ways this human being that had a relationship with God that surpasses our understanding because we don't know what that was like. Nor can we, I think, know what that was like fully until the Lord returns. And then we'll know and we'll go, whoa. And you might think, well, Paul, where are you getting this? You're not able to figure out this. Well, I'm getting it from my namesake. In our passage this morning, he talks about the peace of God that surpasses understanding. We have no idea what that shalom was like. And it could be even better shalom, well-being, peace and relationship with God in the last day than it was in, in, in Eden. I suspect it is because Jesus Christ didn't just come to restore what was, but to restore and to make it better still. And because of him, we have great hope. Well, that's a little bit what this shalom and this, this eschatological shalom is all about. What I really want to do is focus on the passage uh, of, uh, that we heard this morning out of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and that is, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. So Paul has this interest in the people of Philippi rejoicing. Now in case you haven't um, done any thinking about where Paul is, if you look back a little bit in the letter to Philippians, you realize that he's in prison when he says to rejoice. And in fact, they're experiencing some persecution and some tribulations, and he says to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He was calling them 
to a type of kingdom living, a living in the, the way that God wants us to live. That's what kingdom living really is all about. In fact, that's what John the Baptist was calling the people to as well. When he was calling for repentance, he was calling them to kingdom living. You know, Paul then goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known. Well, that's a, it's a interesting. If you look at different translations, you'll find different words for reasonableness. You'll find sometimes gentleness, sometimes fitting. But really what it means is that if you rejoice, it's a fitting way for you to live. As a Christian, rejoicing is fitting. Why is it fitting? Well, it's fitting because rejoicing is the way that we respond when we're experiencing shalom. Joy, living in joy, living in joy. I don't know if you um, have been aware of the Emmanuel prayer that has been um, being used in, in our congregation of late, but joy is a refrain that is, um, you'll hear quite often. You'll hear gratitude and you'll hear joy. And so this just picks, it just picks up on what the biblical um, injunction is that we should live in joy. And that's just fitting for us as Christians. Paul goes on to say that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Hmm. What does that mean? The Lord is near. Does that mean he's close to us or he's close in time he's coming? Well, I suspect Paul means a little bit of both, actually. Uh, that he is in our midst and he is coming soon. So it's fitting for us as he is coming soon to act in a certain way, to rejoice. And because of this rejoicing, what does Paul then say? To don't be anxious for any, about anything. Don't be anxious. You know, if you experience anxiety, if you experience because of this tribulation and distress that the Philippians were experiencing, I'm sure they experienced some anxiety. And Paul was saying, don't, don't, ex don't experience anxiety. In fact, he was saying, if you do, I've got a prescription. Um, I've got a prescription for anxiety. He says, everything in everything. Um, give thanks with prayer and supplication. He says, um, to not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It would be easy for me to say, untrue when I say it, but easy for me to say, just say thanks, God, and everything will be great. Everything will be wonderful. It's not quite that easy. Um, when, when John the Baptist called those people to repent, it would be easy to think they repented and everything was wonderful. But in reality, repentance is, um, as we heard last week, we heard a little bit about repentance, about turning around. It's a mental, it's a mental change that makes a change in direction in the way we act, in the way we live, in the way we respond to things. If you can imagine for a moment, if I were going to take a long walk, a very long walk, and I wanted to go to, you know, wherever, and I started on the road south, and I got on Sheridan, 
and I walked and I walked and I walked. Eventually, if I, if I followed Sheridan Road, I would get to Evanston and I would go, Evanston, how did I get here? I'm headed to Chicago. I do not want to be in Chicago. I want to be in Milwaukee. I'm going to repent. I'm turning around. And now I'm in Milwaukee, right? No, 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 no. I, I need to start walking back. I need to come up and go all the way. Now, sometimes the Lord is gracious and um, he will send his Holy Spirit helicopter to take us places um, that we could not walk nearly as quickly. But my point is that it's a process. That this is a process. That anxiety doesn't just go away. Thank you, Jesus. I'm all better. But rather, Paul is exhorting us, look, if you're anxious, if you're experiencing tribulation, which we all do, if you're experiencing trials, which we all do, um, there is a way to find that peace again, that shalom, and find that place of rejoicing and that place of joy, and that is through prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. He says, let your requests be known to God. And the promise is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Isn't that good news? The shalom of God can be ours. And of course, I don't think that we'll experience what we will experience one day. In fact, I know we won't experience what we will experience one day because we still live in a world where um, sin has its place and the devil has his rule until the day when he's bound up and uh, kept under wraps. But until then, we can, as Paul wants us to, to rejoice because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. In fact, he is in our midst. The Lord is near. He's in our midst. He can helicopter us from one place to the next and get us to a place where we are experiencing that well-being that he has promised. There is a place for that. There is a place. It's easy to give up hope when life is not looking its prettiest. When there are challenges with finances, challenges with relationships, challenges with health, challenges with perhaps in the job front, uh, challenges of all sort. I, I could go on and, and name them. I've just been very general. But each of you has your own set of challenges. Each of you has your own set of trials that would cause you to be anxious, that would cause you to be robbed of joy, that would cause you to be disconnected from other people, but especially disconnected from God. Yet Paul gives us a way to respond. I just want to briefly, because my time is about up, I want to briefly just mention what Paul goes on to say after that. He talks about kingdom living, doesn't he? Part of this repentance and part of this letting your request be known to God in gratitude, um, some of our response requires us to think about, make a will decision to think about things that are good and, and right. In fact, he, he talks about if there's any virtue, 
If there's anything worthy of praise, if there's anything of any excellence, he says, think on these things. Think about these things. Think about these things. And I find as, as, as far as gratitude, it's helpful when we do that. My wife says, so what are you thankful for? And you know what? It took me a while. <laughs> I had to think. And I was like, oh, I haven't been thinking about things that are of excellence and of virtue and are praiseworthy and things that are worth thanking the Lord about and I needed to and it was a good exhortation that my wife gave me she didn't realize it but what are you thankful for and I was like uh well I'm thankful for you <laughs> it's true and that's true I'm not lying when I say that I'm really not lying but but that's like kindergarten level Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, you know, if you're not thankful for your spouse, there's a real problem that you need to, you know, you come to grips with. But there is a lot more than just that. And she said, oh, you mean you're not thankful for? And she started to name a few things. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I am thankful for that. You're right. I really am. But, um, but think on these things. So there is this, you know, self-talk exercise that we need to do instead of brooding on our, uh, on our problems, just to think on things that are worthy. And that's Paul's exhortation. What's he say? I can't remember it. <laughs> I'll have to read it. Uh, practice these things, okay? Yeah? And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Our psalm says, I will listen to what the Lord God is saying, for he is speaking peace to his faithful people. Shalom, he's speaking. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and shalom have kissed each other. Righteousness shall go before him, and shalom shall be the pathway of his peace. So rejoice, people of God. Have great joy. If you're feeling mm, anxious, something's going on, come to him. Give thanksgiving. Speak it out loud. Say it to somebody who will listen to you and rejoice with you. And let God's shalom start to just take root in your life and in your heart. And we can see this Garden of Eden, be more created in your own life. The stuff that was growing in the Garden of Eden, let it grow in your own life. You know, you may say, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of old and I've gone too far and it's a little bit late for that. You know, you know the, the adage, it, when's the best time to plant a tree? 40 years ago, right? What's the next best time to plant a tree? Right now. So if you haven't been planting a tree, if you haven't planted the tree and been watering it, it's not too late. Right now's the time. Right now's the time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.